Hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hawkcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by GoIowaWawesome and Rivals.com. I'm a recruiting analyst and host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined by publisher Adam Jacoby and, of course, our managing editor, Ross Binder. A whole lot of things happening over the last few days. Iowa men's basketball, women's basketball taking on Ohio State in the future, present, past, whenever you're listening to this. And, of course, one big name taking Iowa out of the transfer portal, and that is Caden Proctor. Who would have thought we'd be saying that a year ago? Not me. Former Alabama starting OL. He was previously committed to Iowa, flipped on signing day to Alabama, and now he is back in Iowa City. He was at the men's basketball game yesterday, and man, I can tell you firsthand, that is one large individual, first off. <laughs> Second off, he is very excited to be an Iowa Hawkeye. And as we always do, I'm going to start off with you, Adam. First initial thoughts when this started to surface and Two, what you're thinking right now about Iowa, the offensive line, and and the future for for Caden Proctor. Well, Elliot, uh, first thought is when we first heard about this rumor last week, uh, it seemed like something that would make sense. But my very first initial read was I was going to be on the list and will probably primarily function as a way to drive up his price for a Michigan or an Ohio State or a USC or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. From a purely football standpoint, that's what I was expecting. And that just hearing from Caden after his uh, transfer and, and recommitment and all that, that was the wrong way to look at it because he the what he wanted to talk about was coming back home. What he wanted to talk about was uh, the relationships that he had kept up with the Iowa coaching staff. What he wanted to talk about was his family didn't have to fly to games 12 to 15 times a year anymore. It'll, it'll you know, still be four or five, especially now in the, the nationwide Big Ten, but playing closer to home for home games is super important to him, regardless of like NIL money, right? Like it's not like the Proctors won't be able to afford doing it, or weren't able to afford doing it while he was playing for Alabama. Clearly not, right? But having to do it, regardless of the money, is tough. And he gets to come home now, right? He got to play for Alabama. He got to play in the playoffs. He got to be this top 10 national recruit. He got to do all that. And he didn't burn his relationships in the process. And now he's coming home in a situation where he now has the better relationship with the coaching staff than at Alabama. So that was really important to hear and sort of speaks to probably why Kirk and the staff thought, yeah, we still want this kid. Absolutely. Uh, Ross, what were your thoughts in terms of what you thought this was going to mean for the line in general? I think this is the, it's the rock that they've been looking for at least since Tyler Linderbaum left. And honestly, given the difference in positions, it's more like the rock they've been looking for since Tristan Wirfs left um, many years ago at this point. Uh, they, they have not had that anchor at the tackle position for several years now. And we've seen the effects of that uh, in the play of the offense. Now, 
I think we all know the the offensive issues go more are deeper than just the you know offensive line and the tackle position. But that's a pretty fundamental place to start, and Iowa has been fairly weak at that position for several years running now. Um, so yeah, getting Caden Proctor to be able to fill one of those tackle positions, assumedly uh, left tackle. It's what he played at Alabama. I think if he could handle left tackle at Alabama, it's not a stretch to see him uh, filling at left tackle in Iowa. Um, so having him able to slide into that line, be that anchor, and be able to build around that, his presence, his enormous presence, as Elliot said, I mean, he is physically just a gigantic human being that builds up a lot of space and just a crazy athletic human like large human being too like he's not just like big big like you know large Aaron Gibson yeah 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 so yeah I just it's incredibly exciting to finally have that piece on the offensive line because again haven't had that for a while uh and the results have really struggled so you know there's still worked a lot of work to do on the offensive line but having this as a starting point for the 2024 offensive line is huge. Like, I think you have to dramatically reconsider the expectations for that unit now with him there. Then, you know, before you're hoping, well, you know, this is year five for Mason Richmond. This is year three for Jennings Dunker. You know, okay, that they've, they've been in the system a long time. This is, you know, hopefully where they're going to, it's all going to come together for them. Uh, and we still hope that they, you know, continue to improve. We, we're going to need depth on the line and, they're going to be important players, but adding somebody like Proctor is just a huge transformation of the expectations and the ability of that unit. So, yeah, one of the things that really jumped out at me this season, 2023, was how much this line really missed Caden Proctor. And it's it's weird to say that about a player that was never on the roster to begin with, but especially seeing the regression from Mason Richmond from 2022 to 2023, which was unexpected to say the least. Had Proctor been there at left tackle, even with his struggles as a pass blocker, which Alabama saw plenty of, even with his, I mean, the fact that he's a true freshman and all that, he still graded plenty better than Mason Richmond, plenty. And with how much Iowa's offense struggled, especially with opening up holes for the running backs, keeping their quarterback upright and undisturbed for, especially when uh, Cade McNamara was still under center. Like he needed it uh, arguably as much as Deacon Hill. Had Proctor been on this team, we're probably talking about at least an 11 win team. And we're probably not talking about this offense as having been shut out three times against the only three ranked teams that played, right? Proctor's a guy who graded out against Georgia as the best offensive lineman or best offensive tackle in conference championship games, right? That's a guy who goes up against elite competition and wins. He still needs to learn how to do it consistently, but he's got the talent and he's got the trajectory to do it. And the fact that I was getting that on the line, probably it, may, it might feel about a year too late for some Iowa fans, but come 
the 2024 season, I, I think it's going to be a short, short resentment for them once they see this line take that step forward. Elliot, do you agree? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's an easiest yes I've said probably in my life. Um, you know, I, I want to speak to the play and the on-field product. The first thing I want to hit, and I, I think it's 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 been addressed on Twitter, but I, I definitely want to say it here as well, is this is where Iowa's staff is definitely not caught up in the 80s, the 90s, and the early 2000s like we often hear from Kirk Ferentz. Like, it, it, he, he talks about those stories a lot. I'll say that. So, yeah. and, and the offense is obviously not... Uh, exactly up to date currently or it hasn't been for a while and so uh the way the staff handled this is very indicative of their understanding the current state of college football because what did Tyler Barnes say on signing day about Proctor it's like wait he didn't exactly I don't think they can actually say players names at at that point in time because they're players but um he said something to the effect of you never know what's going to happen you never know with the transfer portal and people were ripping him in the fall for the way it was playing at the start of the season. He's a true freshman playing in the sec five-star or not true freshman playing in the sec and people were ripping him. And what did Tyler Barnes do? He went on Twitter and said, he's going to be just fine more or less. I, I don't have the tweet in front of me, but paraphrasing. And what does he do? He enters the portal. First place he thinks about is Iowa first place that's what he told us he said what he said is he wanted to hear out the new coaching staff at Alabama DeBoer and and whoever whoever else he brought in and there were other programs that reached out to him I'm sure every p5 program in the country reached out to him right away out of the portal he said he wanted to hear a few schools out that probably means Ohio State that probably means Georgia that probably means USC Oregon Oregon was a school that was in on him late and people were worried about towards the later part of his recruitment. So for him to say, no, nah, I want to play for George Barnett. No, I want to play at Iowa for coach Ferentz. Tyler Barnes has been great with me throughout this whole process. That is just a pure reflection of the way that Iowa understands the current situation of college football. They didn't burn a bridge when they very easily could have the fan base probably would have preferred it at that moment in time. That was a horrid time on Twitter. A horrid. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, yeah. The, the, the the fans had plenty of kerosene to burn those bridges. They were like, <laughs> yep, yeah, we got we got the pitchforks and we got the torches too. Let's go. Like exactly. Oh, man. And I don't know that that's Iowa's I don't think that would be Iowa style in the first place. Even with no, I was... go ahead, Ross. I was going to say, I mean, that I think is a reflection of Kirk Ferentz's very even keel approach to management and coaching. Like we see that from him often, like, you know, you don't get too high after a win. You don't get too low after a loss, you know, the 24 hour rule. And I think that's, he approach he takes that approach to, you know, team management aspects too. Like you're not gonna, you know, even though you're, you're mad or disappointed that this kid is, you know, flipped in the last minute before signing or in the last hours, before signing day, it's like you're you're not gonna rip this kid. A, it just it's a bad look. Like you don't need to be ripping on an 18 year old. That's you're not gonna win many battles that way. And B, like Tyler Barnes said, you never know anymore. Like 
the the transfer portal means uh, every door is at least you know halfway cracked open. So uh, you you don't want to do something rash and and damage something that could you know happen in the future that would be good. So um, I've lost my train of thought now. So take over, <laughs> Elliot. So. Uh, but that's what I was getting to is uh, one. I think it's a reflection of their understanding of things currently, but two, I also think that it's not Iowa style. That's what I was going to get to. And, and that you hit on Ross is I don't know that that would be something they would do no matter how the fan base feels and no matter how 40 and 50 year olds react to an 18 year old decision. Golly. Uh, I mean, like I wasn't on the beat at that point in time. That was what, like a month before, ended up with with rivals but um if that yeah a few weeks yeah right and i in covering you know iowa the the grand scheme of things in iowa iowa state you and i drake at at my last position you could tell i mean it was cool it was bad and for him to say i'm not gonna let this reflect my decision or or have an impact on my decision again as a night i presume 19 20 year old i think that's reflective of of Caden as well for him to make that decision. And and the Alabama fans, I'm assuming he, and he did say they reacted similarly. It's like, well, Nick Saban, the greatest coach of all time is no longer around. And it's a 19, 20 year old, huh? Maybe he should make a decision that, that he would like to make and, and end up in uh, elsewhere. But Adam, you had something to say. Yeah, the, the the last thing that I'll say about this and, and how the Iowa staff wants to approach it is they also, let, let's just remember that this is also a reflection of how Caden Proctor handled the whole situation. Because again, like fans see the decommitment on the eve of signing day, they were ready to go nuclear. They did go nuclear. And and Caden even acknowledged it when he was talking with you guys uh, at the game. And, and he just basically said, you know, it's, it's sort of what fan bases do, but I mean, Elliot, when we were down in Orlando and uh, somebody brings up recruiting obliquely to Kirk Ferentz at one of the pressers, and that was enough of an opening for Kirk to have some choice words about a, a mentor of a recruit. <laughs> and we think we know which recruit it was, but you know, without being able to confirm it, I don't want to start throwing names around publicly, but we think we know which one it was. And it was a big deal recruit too. And it, and he, he still had that, that grudge to hold. He still knew exactly who he was talking about. So you're not going to be able to jerk somebody like Kirk Ferentz around and then, you know, come back and be like, by the way, is that scholarship still there? Right? Like <laughs> just because Caden Proctor decommitted there's, there's right ways and wrong ways to go about it. And the staff, the Iowa staff, one, knows the difference, and two, acts on that difference, right? And so the fact that they were um, willing to not only, like, talk Caden up while he was struggling and, and to, like, you know, talk to him, recruit him, bring him on back, like, like keep that relationship going one you know yes we're talking about a five-star tackle but two it is because they Hayden didn't give them a reason to be like you know double birds enough of you buddy right he handled it the right way even though fans didn't see it the same way because he didn't stay committed right so that that tells me that he's a guy that the coaches still trust even though he decommitted that's a tough tough needle to thread 
but I think Caden did it. Uh, Elliot, is that consistent with what you've heard too? Yeah. I mean, I, I think our understanding of the, uh, of how things shook out and, and how Iowa has handled the whole thing is indicative of that. Also in talking with him yesterday, um, I, you could tell, I, you know, there's, there's a big difference. There was a big difference for me. I, I don't want to speak for everybody because freshman year of college can be <laughs> quite different for a lot of different people, but there clear there, there's clearly a level of maturity there that Caden possesses that I don't think a lot of, 18, 19, 20 year olds possess. Um, he, yep. he was, well, so it, initially it was just myself, Scott and Chad that was walking over to Caden to talk with him a little bit. I just went over and took a picture. I was like, I don't know if we can talk to him. I, I don't know what this is going to look like, but uh, those are the veterans. So I followed them over and then it was just a swarm and Caden was awesome. Caden Caden was great about it and he was he was answering every question to the best of his ability and it was loud in there he could have just been annoyed um he could have just been I just want to enjoy this he could have just been wanting to sit there with his new teammates because he was sitting with Trevor Lauk he was sitting with I think it was uh Leighton Jones and and Marco Linez but he he sat there with the media scrum and and answered questions for five ten minutes and then later on he was he was back in the the back areas, the tunnel of, of Carver. And there was another media scrum and he was sitting there taking questions and, and answered them to the best of his ability. And uh, I, Ross, I believe you were the one who wrote the article about his, his first interview as a Hawkeye. Um, you saw some of the quotes. I mean, to me, it's, it's a kid that is mature beyond his years. That's ready to work. And that is uh, excited about uh, being a Hawkeye. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I would agree with that 100%. I was definitely impressed by the maturity, you know, that seemed to, that really came through in those answers and just kind of um, his tone and just like, he seemed really at ease and comfortable in that situation, which I think would be easy not to be. I mean, just you're, you know, these reporters kind of descend on you, you know, not, ex not expectedly. You know, you're at the game. There's a lot going on. It would have been easy to be kind of like irritable or just kind of, um, you know, thrown off. But he did not seem to be that way at all. He was, you know, seemed totally at ease, really comfortable answering questions. Gave some really good answers, some really thoughtful answers. Um, you know, and showed just a lot of maturity and you know talking about, especially, you know, the stuff about the fan bases. Like, you know, recognizing that fan bases are going to do what fan bases do, which is they're going to blow up when when things go badly and they're going to be, you know, love you when they're great. And he, he has the maturity to realize that it doesn't, you know, you can't get too caught up in that, that it, it's just, it is what it is. Enjoy the good times and don't get, you know, too uh, caught up in the bad times. As long as, you know, hopefully no one's getting, you know, too personal or too nasty like that. You don't want to ever want to see that. But yeah, I, I was just really, really impressed with uh, how he handled himself yesterday. And it made me Ross, you even more, even more excited, you know, to get him, uh, you know, on the team next year. And you guys are going to get to interview him, I'm sure, uh, hopefully during the weekly sessions. And uh, and just yeah, just hearing from him, him, I think will be really great. Ross, you had mentioned real quick that there was some like pretty obvious discomfort with like trying to do this whole 
media scrum like at a at a basketball game like I mean, you even like see in the in the video like Elliot what was it that like Caden is like bent over like this the entire time yeah. <laughs> was he like sitting in a seat or, or why was he bent over like that what was going on there it was loud as hell in there and he was just trying to hear oh, so you just couldn't, or couldn't yeah. hear oh yeah. okay yeah he uh so there was obvious i mean you guys know what it's like in carver before a game band is blasting and the band was right there he was right oh. next to the band so that plus they're playing music and uh, we're gonna get to it but carver was that was the best environment that they've had for a men's basketball game this season by far by far um so yeah and we'll get to that later but yeah that that was the reason he just couldn't he just couldn't hear him got it um and we were lucky on that video to get decent audio there was a time when he was like this at the camera and i was just making (laughs) sure we could hear him but uh but yeah now as we transition to the on-field product now adam you hit on it uh, talking about mason richmond's pff grades who has been the, the three-year starter at left tackle and has just continued to struggle, hasn't gotten better. What's the outlook of the offensive line now with, with Caden Proctor at left tackle? Where does Mason Richmond go? Does he go to the bench? Like, like what, are we, what are we talking about here with how things shift? Because all five of those guys who started throughout the season, I guess other than Rusty Feth, you, you replace him with Nick DeYoung, who did start the season at left guard. Um what do we what do we expect to to happen there for the offensive line in in 2024 how do things shift around well obviously you've got to look at moving mason to either uh, i i don't think that he's a viable candidate to overtake dunker at right tackle so you start to think you know is he a guy that we can trust at guard because otherwise you know and, and, and we're talking about a guy who hasn't really played guard in a uh, meaningful capacity for the Hawkeyes, uh, except for his freshman season, right? So they moved him to tackle for a reason. And for the first couple of years uh, as a starting tackle, he was all right, right? He was, you know, grading better as a run blocker than a pass blocker, but he was all right. And for whatever reason this year, fell off the cliff and and I know that injuries had something to do with it but Richmond sort of fell off the cliff as a run blocker never really improved as a pass blocker and you know you, you end up at some pretty poor PFF grades after that I don't think that he's as bad as his grades indicate one because we've seen him you know play better according to the grades and, and two I wasn't really expecting them to be as bad as they were just from an eye test standpoint. I mean, Elliot, we only see these reps once 99% of the time. Right. And, and we're, we're seeing them usually from about 400 feet away and, and, and without the benefit of, you know, TV cameras or replay or anything like that. But it, it always seemed like I didn't think Richmond was playing worse than he did the last two years when the line was awful. I didn't, I didn't, the numbers didn't click with that that being said proctor's an obvious upgrade (laughs) and 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 proctor is a guy that alabama would not move jc latham back to left tackle for they and and latham is or it's either latham or latham it's i got the first five letters right i guarantee you 
but he's another one of those like 360 like NFL prototype walking mountain type dudes who could have absolutely played left tackle for Bama. They could have started um, Proctor at right tackle and you know, you'll, you'll work your way over there. And, and it, it might've worked, might've not, but that was a plan that would have been on the table if Nick Saban were not confident in Caden Proctor. Never moved him. And you saw that improvement from Proctor over the course of the season and Improvement when he's playing SEC competition, no less, in SEC West, right? We're talking about the biggest of the big guns. And if Nick Saban keeps that faith, why on earth would Kirk Ferentz not, right? Like, if left tackle is open for Proctor at Alabama, it is absolutely open for him at Iowa. So I, we had, and, and I, I mentioned that because we had heard some folks say, well, you know, you know, where does Proctor fit in? Proctor fits in where he wants to fit in. And that's left tackle, <laughs> right? Like that is, we start there, we work from there. It, it is not Proctor having to adapt himself to Iowa's line. It's the other way around. Nobody else on the offensive line at Iowa has earned that right, in my opinion. Yeah. Mason or uh, Mason Jones or Logan Jones, excuse me. I, you, you know, Logan has? Jones at center. You don't think so? I mean, I thought Tyler Ellsbury was better this year. Well, we saw we saw Jones when he was not at a hundred percent. Like Ellsbury, when we when Ellsbury was in the game at center, he was healthier than Jones was. But like, yeah, it. I'll say this: it makes. Proctor has more of that privilege than Jones does. I would agree with that. Absolutely. And there were, there were moments where Connor Colby was good at right guard as well, mm -hmm. but sure. Again, Caden Proctor has, has that, that locked up at, at left tackle. Now you said that Jennings Dunker, like moving Mason Richmond to right tackle is not viable. Explain that a little bit, because that was initially my thought was they move Mason Richmond to right tackle because like there's just kind of this general like knowing that your left tackle should be your best offensive lineman. So there's the thought that Mason Richmond that'll translate to a less, you know, a less pivotal position on the offensive line at right tackle. Jennings Dunker has experience at right guard. You move him to right guard. You move Connor Colby back to left guard who had been there before. And Nick DeYoung is no longer a starter on the offensive line. That, because because he is valuable at probably four of the five positions as a backup, but you probably don't want Nick DeYoung to be your starter at, at guard. Now, why is that? Why, why did you think that wasn't viable, Adam? Is it because of that that, that awful PFF grade? Like, like what, what is it there? Well, so it's, sort of a mixture of two things one that mason had played for his college career exclusively on the left side of the line and uh almost exclusively left tackle right his other reps were at left guard as a freshman and, and that pretty clearly wasn't the long-term plan and so it's it's one it's that and two it's that richmond hasn't really earned the right to he, he, he doesn't look like a guy who's going to push Dunker out of that spot, right? So if you're moving him positionally to a side of the line that he hasn't played on, he, he may have practiced there, right? But Iowa has not looked at him as 
their solution on the right side of the line for his entire career, right? And so Dunker has performed better than Richmond, or at the very least, Dunker had a better graded out season. And I test wise, I think was a little bit better than Richmond at right tackle, right? So if you're going to move Richmond to an unfamiliar place, it should be for a starting spot. And I don't think that Richmond is a serious contender to like uproot Dunker at right tackle. So maybe the move here is, you know, Richmond's your, your first backup offensive tackle on both sides. You, you, know, you know, you get him ready for that. You have him behind Proctor. And if, you know, something awful happens or Proctor tweaks an ankle and has to miss a game against, you know, you and I or, or what have you, you've got a guy with starting experience. You're fine. You're good. Same thing goes with Dunker. You know, something bad happens. He commits wire fraud and he's in jail for a few weeks. No, sorry. That's Michigan state. That's I, Iowa bring <laughs> guys back from jail. Michigan state does that anyway. But if, <sighs> but if Dunker's out too, at the very least, Richmond's a guy that you can, I think trust over there, or at the very least have him in a, competition with some of these younger guys that have come in too because there's there's going to be some young hungry dudes on this line coming up real quick so that you're going to have to worry about how you mix those guys in too but ultimately yeah i mean i think richmond right now looks like guy number six or seven on this line and hey look it's better than being guy number 16 or 17 isn't it but it's you know he's sort of earned his way there too right yeah so, Ross, what do you think this starting five uh, on the offensive line looks like next season? Uh, great question. Um, you know, I'm really interested to see uh, spring practice to see how things are shaking out there. You know, where where is Richmond practicing? Is he Are they trying him at right tackle? Are they trying him at left guard? Is he just strictly backing up Proctor? Uh, I think that will be a really interesting um development to see where where he's working but you know right now if you wanted to just kind of talk about what the starting five should look like or could look like you know i think you're gonna look at proctor at, at the left tackle um probably de young starting at left guard unless someone i think that's probably the most open spot where some if someone you know really turns up in the spring or summer and is like Hey, I've I've taken that leap. I'm ready to play, you know, more. I think that's the position where someone could could come up and take it. Uh and then Logan Jones at center, if he's healthy, I think he's still uh the guy there. Uh Colby, Connor Colby at right guard. Um, I think that's he's been all over the line, but that's seems like it's his best position. So uh I think he'll probably probably lock that down. Uh, and then Dunker at let right tackle. Um, seems like he, like Adam said, he was the the steadier option to tackle this season, and uh, I can definitely see him, you know, maintaining that uh, this next season. So that's kind of where I think the line looks uh, right now, at least. Now, when we're talking about that left guard spot, to me, if it's not the young, if it's not Colby, if Colby sticks at right guard the guy who steps up and a guy that we've talked about here a variety of times is Cade Piper. He's going to be a red shirt freshman. He's a guy that gained a ton of weight in that first year and gained it well and earned some reps. 
on the offensive line as as the year went along. I mean, it was garbage time reps, but it's reps as a freshman, uh, which is which are important. And he's he's a guy that's come in and really impressed. Trevor Lauk uh, is expected to be an offensive tackle, so you know, in, in, unless he comes in and and overtakes Jennings Dunker, I, I don't think that's going to be him getting reps anytime soon, consistent snaps. Um, and then the only other thought, which I don't exactly expect to transpire at left guard would be one of these guys who's had issues with injuries like Ms. Linsky or, or, or is it, is it Crow K R O G H? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, I think it's Croft, but that's, uh, again, that's, that's something that we'd, we'd have to double check here. Bit of a reach. Um, and, and then if you, it, it'd be really difficult for Cody Fox, and I don't want to put that expectation on him, but he is a four-star, and he is about 300 pounds already coming in. He did not enroll early. The only offensive lineman in the 24 class that enrolled early is Josh Janowski. I think he's a little bit far away from you know a few years away from from potentially earning a spot on that offensive line so the other than that i i do think for now it's going to be between piper and and de young the way we look at it the left guard spot as 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 long as things shake out like we're expecting them to currently with jennings dunker staying at right tackle the i'll, I'll throw one name out there too one you were right it was pronounced crow and, and two tyler ellsbury can both push Logan Jones at center or also be the starting left guard too, right? We, we've seen a little bit of flexibility there. You, you, you look back to a guy like Shane Daniels, who was trusted at both guard and center for Iowa. You could start to see Ellsbury, if he's one of the five best, and, and I could see a world where he is, you could see him push there at left guard and also be the backup center too. That that is not unprecedented in Iowa system too. So there are I I'd say there are three minimum quality options at at left guard there too. So even though we don't know who that starter is going to be, I think this is a situation with options, a, a good problem as opposed to a bad problem. Uh, do you guys I, like how many of those names that we've thrown out here are you guys confident in? Because I I'd say about two or three for me. Do you guys agree? Looking at looking at left tackle, I think, or sorry, left guard. Yeah. There's there's three names that that have been said, and it's it's the young, it's Piper, and it's Ellsbury as possibilities yeah. that that I look and and see, at least and and have a level of confidence based on what we've seen, right? Like yeah. you could say Fox, but I I we just haven't seen him at the college level yet, and he played at East Buchanan. Like he's he's gonna have a, a learning curve, so. It's, you know, it's one thing to look at Caden Proctor, a five-star who played at Southeast Polk, and then look at Cody Fox, a four-star who played at East Buchanan. And then that's just a reflection of his experience. That's not a reflection of his talent or anything like that exactly for for Fox. Or potential, yeah. Right, because potential especially, because he's been a four-star since he committed to Iowa. Like, as a, a, I think he was a freshman going into his sophomore year, so... He was the first one. A rising sophomore. Right. Yes. So, and I I think the Ellsbury at left guard is a good point too, because if Jones gets hurt, you can shift Ellsbury to center and then put Nick DeYoung right there at left guard. Because if he's your sixth, seventh guy, you can plug him in in a variety of spots. I mean, he played right tackle 
this year when Jennings Dunker was hurt. They didn't put Dejon Parker in there. So that speaks to his versatility, whether he's going to be, you know, particularly high level at any of these positions is, is one thing, but the versatility is there for DeYoung. He's experienced. Um, he, he knows what he's doing in a variety of spots. Now we've talked about the scholarship issue previously. I believe it's public. So I'll, they're at 92 scholarships by our count. I've, I've heard other podcasts talk about it. So we'll, we'll just, we'll just put that number out there. 92 scholarships because uh, Dr. Min did confirm that Fisher is coming back, by the way. Um, I know we've talked about that a little bit and we didn't address it fully, but Dr. Min did confirm that. Yeah. On a couple different podcasts that I've heard him say. So yeah, oh, okay. 92, 92 scholarships and you need to be at 85 by the time the fall rolls around. So what the hell are they going to do? Somebody transfer, somebody transfer. (laughs) Um, That and maybe you start looking at medical retirements, you know, where where guys are either done and they finish their careers at Iowa or they enter the portal and maybe try to figure it out elsewhere. But like, I don't, it's not Iowa style to to kick guys off the team, you know, like, like what's, what else are we talking about here? Like, and like, I, I don't know that we should necessarily throw names out there, specific names, but you've got seven scholarship running backs going into next season. Two of them are true freshmen. Yeah. Like, and to, yeah. And I, I think it's a good, uh, you know, bringing up that situation. I think that's one of those positions where, you know, you hate to say figure itself out, but it kind of will figure itself out. Like they're, they're going to see, how things stack up in the spring and probably at least one of those guys is going to say, Hey, I don't know where the path is to me getting carries is here. Maybe I should look for somewhere else, you know? So I I think you see some of that, but you're right. I mean, 92 scholarships means seven. You got to free up somewhere. Uh, That's a fair number. Actually it's, so it'll be interesting to see how that works itself out. Um, you know, gray shirting is another option. They don't use it a ton. Um, that just kind of kicks the can down the road. I don't know that they would do that here. Uh, I think I think probably just kind of natural transfers of kind of log jammed positions is probably going to be a big one. And then, uh, you know, the medical hardship or medical scholarships, you know, that's guys, some guys are, you know, unfortunately just don't have, any kind of good luck when it comes to injuries it seems like at their playing careers. And, um, you know, we could definitely see probably one or two guys where that, that kind of becomes an option that, you know, Hey, sorry, this didn't work out, but you know, we'll keep you on scholarship to finish your degree and so on. We've seen Iowa go that route with the medical um, red shirt or excuse me, medical exemptions and, and scholarships and all that a few times. And, and we've seen it as a sort of a growing trend in college football too. And last off season, we saw the situation where Iowa tried to medically um, exempt Terry Roberts, scary Terry. And he said, hang on. I didn't say I was done. And, you know, he tried to make it work at Michigan State and at Miami. Something else was going on there. And, you know, more power to him. Just, you know, figured it all out. But regardless, 
yeah, we've seen Iowa do that. And it is, even if the athletes might not agree, it is it is an, uh, an avenue that they've gone down before. And it's a lament that they've had with um, offensive line. It's just, you know, how these guys' health is affecting them or not affecting them. So, yeah, you know, I, that's a situation where you could potentially see it happening. And it, you, you might even see players be like, what? Right, Because we do see this like seven scholarship or at the very least it's a public seven scholarship um transparency it's not the right word uh, a seven scholarship um what's the word that i'm looking for for uh, uh discrepancy there we go use your words adam but it's a it's <laughs> we don't always see that from iowa because kirk has been pretty famously disciplined in terms of like where's the scholarship going to come from before we offer it to somebody else but we've also seen tyler barnes be very 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 coy about what their scholarship situation is and we've seen it a few like it's manifested a few different ways too one they kept uh restaken entirely under uh, wraps for months, you know, coming out of Australia. And, and so when he committed one, everyone's like, how did Iowa just do that? Like, how did nobody hear about this guy? And, you know, they, they moved in silence, like real G's and lasagna. And we, when somebody asked during signing day, when somebody asked Tyler Barnes about that scholarship situation, his answer was more or less, wouldn't you like to know? Right? Like, (laughs) <laughs> they are they are more into the non-public information they're they're more into the like all right privately we know where we we are where we need to be but we'll just hang on to that information right uh so presumably presumably they're not in in iowa city they're not trying to figure out where seven scholarships are going to come from but they're probably trying to figure out where two or three are so It'll be interesting to see how that whole situation shakes out if they're able to, I mean, I guess for lack of a better term, lose seven dudes and, and hopefully not ruin the relationships in the process. I mean, that's that's going to be sort of tricky information if they don't have seven of those 92 guys who want to leave Iowa City, right? Are there more than 85 guys that want to be in Iowa City right now? Because I could see a situation where that is the case, and that is situation to be in for both a staff and a roster so uh for for those people's sake i would hope that they're a lot closer to that 85 mark than we think they are right elliot do you agree uh yes i i think i mean i don't know how you can dip into the portal at all anymore there was that conversation about ty thompson and maybe trying to go get another quarterback but like is, is Deacon leaving? Because I don't know. I don't know what you're going to do there. And I don't know why the hell Deacon would go anywhere else. <laughs> I mean, you're not getting this type of facilities and treatment and ability to learn and all that type of stuff from Fordham. That's why he ended up at Iowa. You know? Yeah. I, I, and, I and he's he's now got player-teammate relationships that he would have to just start all over again at, at a D or an FCS school, too. Like, that move would not make sense for him. Right. Exactly. For a variety of reasons, because he's not going to get another P5 offer after this year. No chance. So that that's definitely something to monitor. 
how things happen throughout spring ball, because that's when you're going to be able to look to potentially add guys out of the portal too. That's what happened with uh, Nick Jackson and Caleb Brown, Caleb Brown specifically entered the portal and then came in after spring ball. Um, That's going to be your best bet. I mean, you still have to think they, they need some help at wide receiver. You still have to think they they could use maybe some help at offensive line other than Proctor, but I don't think they're going to go there. You think they could use some more depth at quarterback. I mean, I don't really think they need any help on the defensive side of things um, with Jamari coming back at corner specifically, and then you got the Sean Lee, TJ Hall, et cetera. You got your safeties back. You got your linebackers. You got your entire linebacking quarterback. You got your defensive line pretty much de-tackle. You maybe could if you had a scholarship open. But like, I don't know how the hell they they do anything there. And, and like, by the way, another guard position that guy that we didn't mention is Bo Stevens. He came in and played. Oh the, yeah, <laughs> that's another guy that that could play at the guard spot. So they've got options. It's just what I think Iowa fans' concern will be is if they have it figured out at the start of the season, which they won't. Like nobody does especially when you have depth at a position, but there's going to be some bumps in the road and figuring out who your five guys are. I mean, there's a reason Feth didn't start until later on in the year, they were rotating him and and DeYoung at that left guard spot. So like, I, I just, I don't know how they figure this out. And I, I don't know how, I don't know how they looked at this situation and granted it was different at the time, but, and, and said, yeah, Nick DeYoung come back. You know, like he was the first one that announced he was coming back. Um, and that was prior to the other guys announcing they were back. I, maybe they just like, yeah, we'll take what we can get there at the offensive line spot. But that's that's one that's tough because he's he's not he's not Jay Higgins. He's not Nick Jackson. He's not Quinn Schulte. Like he's a guy that will, you know, you hope he can contribute regularly next season. Not I don't know that he's going to take a leap in year five or year six or whatever it is, but it, it's going to be something that is probably going to be more sorted out after spring ball when guys enter the portal then. Um, and, and you look at the running back position, you look at linebacker, you look at uh, offensive line. Those are those three spots where you're going to see guys probably enter the portal um, and go elsewhere, maybe wide receiver. I don't know. I mean, like Alex Moda didn't see the field this year. Um, Day- Dayton Howard didn't. Jariot Bowie did as a freshman, and I, I'm. I, this is just. I'm not. I'm not saying any of these guys are in another portal. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that there's. These are these are positions where there's a lot of guys there, and it's more likely that one guy gets frustrated and says, "Okay, there's going to be other places I can go." That's all I'm saying. Especially at a position that doesn't have a coach right now. Yeah, yeah, that is a good point. Um, and, and we will see who that will be. And speaking of which, Iowa still searching for that OC spot. They have not filled it yet, as well as wide receiver. You have to assume that goes hand in hand. Whoever the OC is, is probably going to bring in their wide receiver coach. Still hearing different things, still hearing non-answers as well. Uh, they're, they're keeping this one very tight to the vest right now, uh, kind of across the board. And so we're hearing different things, potentially a college position, potentially a college hire, potentially an internal hire, potentially an outside hire, potentially an NFL hire, and they're in the playoffs. This has got to get done. 
Uh, I maintain everything that I said, and I, I can't speak for you guys, but I maintain everything I said on the last pod. This has got to get done here sooner rather than later before spring ball starts, obviously. Um, you got to you gotta get your guys in. And you have to think that Proctor knew something or was told something before he committed to Iowa without an offensive coordinator, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you would you would hope, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with a guy like 2024 quarterback signee James Reeser, he signed because he trusts Kirk and because he likes the program or he loves the program is what he told me. I like is is that what Caden's doing too? I mean, could it, be. I mean he he singled out his relationships with Ferentz and and George Barnett when he was talking to you guys yesterday. So I mean, those are I think probably the two most important positions you know, or coaches for him. And um, honestly, whoever the offensive coordinator is, I don't know that Caden's job is going to be all that different, I guess. But yeah, you'd, you'd hope that there's some progress going on in that search and that, you know, that they're maybe telling Caden, you know, a little bit of something, but yeah, it's a, it's a messy situation. I agree. I, I stand by, you know, what we discussed last week that like this process has been uh, too long, too opaque, too, too drawn out. Just it's been a mess. And I don't you know. You cannot hold, hold up this as any sort of a reasonable uh, coaching hire, I think is an example of a reasonable coaching hire. Like I, this is an example of how not to do a coaching search and a coaching hire uh, in my opinion, because it's, it's dragged on for so long. It's just become such a cluster that it's, it's ridiculous. Um, and hopefully there's a good, good ending to all of this, uh, you know, nonsensical process, but it's hard to see that right now. I will say that. If it's an internal hire, this will be the most anticlimactic and I know anticlimactic probably doesn't do it justice like the most oh there will be a climax yeah (laughs) yeah um and it'll result in the university of iowa getting burned to the ground (laughs) fan base like i I initially my thought was anticlimactic and i was like i don't know (laughs) no no that'd be bad and like who who do we talk about when we talk about an internal hire talk about george barnett we talk about john budmeyer and as much as players vouch for these guys that only does so much and it can only reflect your intelligence when it comes to football and your aptitude as an offensive coordinator at the p5 level so much so if if that's what what transpires man uh kirk really went went for a yes man i'll, I'll tell you that like that's that's what that tells me um and uh, here's hoping for our sake because we have to watch it. That doesn't happen. So well, speaking I, of, I just wanted oh, to one note on Barnett though. I was, you know, this kind of ties into the Proctor discussion too. Is you know, I think getting Proctor is it's a great thing, but it also increases the pressure on Barnett. You know, there's been a lot of discussion about his performance and the offensive line's performance over the last few years. Not great. Um, he's finally got that piece now. He's got that anchor. He's got that five-star left tackle, that guy that, you know, we're all going to hope is an NFL draft pick in the first round in 
two, three years. Um, you know, that's that's the that's the guy. He's got that now. And now I think it's incumbent on him to make that offensive line. It's got to work. Like it's got to be a better unit, a better performing unit, a more consistent unit than what we've seen the last couple of years. Like this is kind of a the buck stops here moment for Barnett in the line, I think. Adam, you got something to, to add. Yeah, we're, we're talking about a, a coach who has now three years of experience coaching the Iowa line. And, you know, they're, they're three of the roughest years of the line, but I think there is, at the very least, some green shoots. The, the line is clearly better than it was in 2021 and probably better than it was in 2022. And I think this 24 line is going to be even better too. So at the very least, there is some improvement being made under George Barnett. But Ross, you're absolutely right. If if somehow he doesn't figure out how to make Caden Proctor work, if he can't get an anchor out of that situation, assuming Proctor's healthy, right? If if disaster strikes, then this entire discussion is worthless regardless. But as long as Proctor's healthy, if if Barnett can't figure out how to like start there and like have him be the anchor and build off of that, you know you know, it might be time to see what else is out there, but I don't expect that to happen though. I, you know, the coaches or the Kirk Ferentz loves the guy, the players, every time we talk to an offensive line recruit, Elliot, it's coach Barnett, coach Barnett, coach Barnett, coach Barnett, and unprompted and in, in ways that don't, come off as lip service, right? These are these are solid relationships that these linemen and their coaches and their families have with Barnett, right? And and so that I don't expect to change and I don't expect him to not succeed once he has this Caden Proctor five-star. Like now that he's got his cheat code, I don't think it's going to be worse for the line. I, I really don't. But it is something that, all right, here you go, right? And and this was sort of the situation where we were with Brian Ferentz last year, once all those uh, transfers came in on offense. Now, obviously, things went south with those in ways that are not Brian Ferentz's fault, by and large. But it was, you know, in 2023, at this time, it was a, all right, Brian, here you go. And now it's a, all right, you know, Kirk or, or Barnett, here you go. All right. The, the personnel is right now no longer the gripe. You, you don't get to fall back on that one in 2024. Uh, it was valid in 21 and, and in 22 and to some extent this year. But now, Ross, you mentioned it before we were recording. Richmond was not a Barnett guy. And whatever you guys want to say about position coaches recruiting the guys that they want. You know, I, I personally, I think a position coach ought to be able to make somebody else's recruits work, but you know, recruiting is a little bit tricky and, and a little bit dependent on your, your vision for a uh, position. And those visions can change a lot. I'm, gosh, look at the wide receiver situation. Once Greg Davis came in, uh, you know, about a decade ago, like that, blew up the Iowa's passing game for years because their visions of wide receivers were different than they were before. Regardless, you know, the 
excuses of, well, our guys aren't in there yet, or, you know, it's, it's somebody else's recruit or, you know, well, we had all these injuries in 2021 and 2020. Those are all gone. This here it is. Here is everything on paper that the Iowa offensive line needs to succeed in 2024. They've got returning experience. They've got five-star first-round NFL potential at left tackle, the one position where you really, really want that. They have a coach that apparently everybody loves, and, and, I, and I take them at their word. And every time, uh, Elliot, that we've talked to Coach Barnett, super impressive dude, right? It's all here. Now they've got to turn it into success, and the fans are not going to have a long leash and, and a, a lot of patience for that success either because Caden's here now. And with all that expectation and all of that, like, these guys are ready now. All right. Like, Kinnick is not going to be happy with stacks and, you know, three and outs, et cetera, et cetera. Those days are over. I think fans understood to some extent that this was a rebuild on the line and rebuilds take time. Some fans were more patient than others about mm -hmm. that. Right. And, and and some fans were like, look, I get it, but also I don't want to see this anymore. I, I've had a few of those in my mentions too. Realistically, this is 2024 looks is really looking like the line where you don't have to see that bad play anymore. And if this is not a really, really good year for offensive line play in Iowa city, either something bad has happened with health again, which we've seen a few times recently, or it's, it's probably insufficient coaching. Like, do you guys agree with that assessment that this is the year for Iowa's line to be back? When we're talking about recruiting, his guys are starting to enter the room, right? Like, obviously, Proctor was one of his guys. Proctor couldn't be anybody's guy. Yeah. Top five, <laughs> like, five-star, top five guy in the country. Or, excuse me, uh, he was the top offensive tackle in the in the 23 class. Um, and a top 10 recruit in the class as well. But you're starting to talk about Proctor. You're starting to talk about Piper. Um, I, I just, it, I'm having trouble uh, making a distinction. The juniors, so Dunker, Stevens, Mislinski, and Little, were those, those were Barnett's guys, correct? Those were his first, that was his first class. Either that or that was the last class from before him. I don't know. Either way, if if it is, they've had him for a while. We'll say that they've had they've had yeah. Barnett for a while. That's Dunker. That's Stevens. Then you look at the senior year guys, and they've had Barnett for a while. DeYoung, Ellsbury, Logan Jones, Mason Richmond, Connor Colby. Like you, you give him a little bit of leeway, right? Those first few years, you had Linderbaum and nothing else, and then it was just straight up nothing else after that. And yeah. Kirk Ferentz believes in this guy too. He's gone to bat for him every single time he's had the opportunity to. And like you mentioned, the recruits like him, players like him. One quote that I got from Jack Lang, he's a four-star uh, recruit out of Missouri. I believe he's 6'8", 300 pounds. He's getting recruits or offers from all over the country. 
this quote from him uh, on Barnett, which you can have access to the full article on iowa.rivals.com backslash uh, subscribe if you want to uh, check out that if you're not a premium subscriber. Jack Lang said, I'm not, or uh, uh, Barnett said to Lang, I'm not going to kiss your ass. On nights before my games, I'm going to be texting my guys. I'm not going to be texting you. I want you, but I'm not going to kick your, I'm not going to kiss your ass. I, I hope he doesn't kick his ass either. I'm not going to kiss your ass. Um, and recruits that end up at Iowa love that. They love that type of thinking. And you're again, you're getting your guys in the room now. What do you do with it? One, one, one quick thing, the 2021 class that um, uh, Dunker and Colby, et cetera, et cetera, uh, David Koff uh, was the name that you'd thrown out. Uh, those were all, uh, those guys all signed uh, before uh, Coach Barnett came. So not his March. guys. For, yeah, he started in March. For whatever yep. it's worth. Yeah. But yeah. they've so, been here the whole but, time he was here. Yeah. Yeah. And at, at some point, especially on a developmental position like offensive line, develop, <laughs> right? Like, even if he's not your guy, at some point, uh, like, just get him ready to play, right? And, and to some extent, these guys have been ready to play. But where's that next step going to come from? Like at some point, just because you did or didn't recruit them only matters so much. Bingo. Now, one thing we got to talk about before we get you out of here, Adam, because you got to cover that, that Iowa Ohio state women's basketball game. Let's talk men's basketball before we get you out of here. Uh, big game yesterday at Carver. Again, I think you factor in Proctor committing, you factor in, the fact that the number two team in the country was there, Zach Eady, reigning national player of the year. That environment was the best one I've experienced at Carver by far uh, with, with the men. Um, the the fans were were crazy. I mean, uh, Ross, you were watching. I don't know how much you got to watch of the game, Adam, but Peyton Sanford hit that three for them to go up, and uh, Carver went nuts. And it, it's unfortunate that, Zach Eady was part of the picture for Iowa because finished with 30 points and 18 rebounds. There's only so much you can do with a guy who's that skilled at seven, four. Um, and referees didn't know how to officiate him. Like, like that, that was apparent. Um, I think he shot 15 free throws to Iowa as a team who shot 16. So that that's pretty indicative of the situation at hand. I still think I was on the correct trajectory. Um, I, they've got a, a great a, a, a schedule that's conducive to winning ahead. We'll say that um, play Maryland on Wednesday, but there, there were some issues. There was an issue, issue of rebounding. They were out rebounded 50 to 24. Uh, Adam, I don't, again, I don't know if you saw my uh, article headline. I was pretty happy about that. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. 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 I, I, I was going to bring it up if you didn't, I was going to say I was writing it and I was like, Oh, Adam's going to love this. <laughs> I, so if you missed it, it was uh, the score and then an old-fashioned glass kicking. And uh, that's so what it was. <laughs> it's so good. Thank you. Um, but it, and, and it was. I mean, sometimes the ball just doesn't bounce your way. And then sometimes you play a team that has a 7-4 guy. Officials don't know how to officiate. And your best, arguably your best player, freshman Owen Freeman, uh, doesn't get a lot of respect 
uh, on on the court as well. He's six inches shorter than the guy, and he's not getting any help from uh, from the officials. And uh, also, condolences to the Freeman family. His grandma passed away on on Friday. Um, and Iowa recruit Braden Freeman, Owen's little brother as well. Um, condolences to to them and their family. Uh, so playing with a heavy heart and a tough matchup, man. And like, I'm going to give Owen Freeman flowers just about every game. And this was like probably the most impressed I've been. He was about as physical with uh, Edie as he can be, as the refs were allowing him to be. And there was one play where he got the ball, I think at the left elbow, took a dribble, went into Edie's uh, uh, chest with his shoulder. Yeah, with his shoulder and put a left-handed layup in. And I was like, like, hell yeah, that's what you need Mm -hmm. from your freshman. That's what you need from a a guy who's becoming one of the better players, the six-time freshman of the week. Um, And it was not given an advantageous whistle. And Fran McCaffrey let everybody know post-game. I asked him, oh, God, I the way I phrased the question, (laughs) I said, uh, you out, uh, explain the rebounding discrepancy. <laughs> That's how I phrased it. I was like, oh, damn it. Uh, he's going to be pissed. But mm-hmm. he uh, he said, I would like to see my six-time freshman of the week get a little more respect. That was it. Um, and, and so lots of things to take away, lots of positives, still the negatives. There's only so much you can do when you're, you know, your power forward also comes down, I think, with three rebounds, two rebounds. Um, ben Cricky, you brought him in to score not to exactly get a bunch of boards, not exactly to play great defense. And, you know, it's, it kind of reared its ugly head, I guess, in that game. Those are the over, you know, the, the overlying things for me, Ross, how about you? Yeah. I was gonna say like, this isn't a great rebounding Iowa team for Iowa team, you know, they just in general. Now I think probably Peyton Sanford is their second best rebounder. I think, God bless Peyton Sanford. He does a lot of things really well. If he's your second best rebounder, I think there's some some issues there with the team construction and the distribution of skills. Like you just need more more rebounding um, and more big guys that can rebound rather than your your wings. Um, although he's very good at it, you know. Props to him. And yeah, when when Freeman, you know, he's your best rebounder, and he's limited by the whistles, by you know, playing a seven foot four uh you know just mammoth of a human being in ed so that it's just there the odds of a happy ending to that story yesterday the iowa purdue game were just not good like to me it, it the thing i would needed to have happen um i mean they need to be a little bit better on the rebounding somehow like i don't know how exactly but you can't get the out rebounded the way they did and win a game that's just not going to happen and number two is they needed to hit threes and they just were not the threes were not falling for them uh, especially in the second half and towards the end of the game. Uh, you know, they talked about it after the game that there was some fatigue issues maybe. I mean, they went the final four minutes of the game without a bucket, without a free throw, without any points of any kind. Obviously not going to win many games doing that. Um, because, you know, Purdue roared out to a pretty big lead. Uh, they got up to 19 points, I think, uh, in, at one point in the second half. It's like, it looked like, okay, this is going to be like the, you know, the West Lafayette game where they just, you know, it's a blowout, you know, thanks for coming. But Iowa, to their credit, you know, they battled back. They, they got it closer, got it closer. They, they struggled to get it under that kind of 11-point threshold for a while. And then they finally got it down to eight. And they had several possessions in a row where they actually got some stops on defense, had chances on offense, 
make a shot, get it to six, get it to five, make a couple shots, get it to four. And they just couldn't do it. The shots weren't falling. Uh, there were no offensive rebounds. So that was hard too. Um, but, you know, they had some chances to maybe make things interesting at the end. And, uh, you know, it seemed like they just kind of ran out of gas. Uh, like you, I don't think this is an indictment of this year's team in any way. It's just Purdue's, A, a really, really good team, number one. And number two, really, really bad matchup for this particular Iowa team. Like, the things they're really good at are things Iowa is kind of bad at. So it's just, you know, you put those together, you're going to have games like yesterday more often than not. Like, they play ten times. Purdue's going to win at least nine of them, <laughs> probably. So yeah. it's just kind of the way that works. So the- I'm still still very optimistic about this team for the rest of the year. And uh, I think, like you said, the schedule is more favorable. So, you know, they just got to keep playing the way they've been playing. And I think there's going to be some some good results over the next few weeks. I agree with you, right. Ross. And I was I was going to make that point as well. It was 444. They didn't make a field goal from the field. Um, which is is not going to be conducive to getting back in that game. Again, it was what within eight at that point in time, Purdue ends up winning by 14. So it's just about making shots. And uh, I'm looking at the stats here. Purdue had 19 offensive rebounds to Iowa's four, and Iowa had 24 rebounds total. Yeah. I, Iowa had plenty of, uh, plenty more misses to corral than Purdue did too. The, and guys, you mentioned that that Freeman was sort of in that tough matchup. And not only is Freeman going up against a guy who was, you know, six inches taller than him, which he's probably never going to have to uh, encounter again in his career, you know, unless he goes to the NBA and he's got some seven six stiff from Lithuania to deal with. But like that's that's almost never going to happen. And and two, Edie is skilled. Like he is. If you ever see anyone say, oh, he's just tall, incorrect. Like that person doesn't know ball because Edie has really remarkable footwork for a guy. Like even if he were just just seven feet tall, his his footwork would be pretty darn good. It's really good for a 74 guy. Uh, Heavens FX, who God bless him. Um, one of the one of the best tweeters in all of like Hawkeye fandom and and um uh, He's probably going to do about 15 deep fakes off of this uh, podcast now that we've mentioned him. But, you know, he he posted a video. He was like, why is why is Zach Eadie in the lane for 10 seconds straight? Like, look at all these 10 seconds. And if you actually watch that footwork, he keeps resetting it, resetting it, resetting it. Like, he knows what he's doing. He's a skilled big man who just happens to be 7'4", as opposed to a 7'4 big man who happens to have skills, right? And he came in as a seven, four guy without those skills. And, and painter happens to be this Goliath whisperer apparently, because you're seven, three, you go to Purdue and you turn into a great player, I guess, or at the very least a great college player. That is, so that is a matchup that is uniquely bad for Owen Freeman. And, and it's not really anything that he has to worry about for any of the other 12 opponents in the big 10. Or, you know, it's soon to be 16 opponents in the Big Ten. So I'm not too worried about that aspect of it per se. But it, it is also, I think, important to say, yes, Akiti's good at basketball. He's not just like super tall. Uh, and, and that can be really, really tough to deal with. Uh, but to that end, 
you know, at some point you got to let these guys play and, and you can't let this big Goliath dude with all these skills. You can't also be doing him favors and sending him to the line when he's able to be physical and push defenders out of the way on the other end of the floor. Right. Like at some point it's got to be fair for all players. Right. And, and I didn't really see that in the officiating for the game yesterday. Did you, I, I, I think I know you guys' answers already, but like, do you guys agree? No, uh, yeah, yep. absolutely not. Yeah. I, I don't know that one. I think it was Tony Perkins. Edie was coming down the lane and Tony jumped up and popped the ball out. And the ref from half court called the foul. Yeah. It was like two feet from the basket. It was high knees guy. I don't know. That guy on Twitter, they always tweet high knees. But he's like going like this, calling the foul. It's like what you're 40 feet away from the play. Like <laughs> what? what's going on here? And then yeah, there was, Elliot, I think you were closer. Like yeah, I, I think you were literally closer to the play. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then there was another play where these are the only two that stick out that kind of illustrate the point. But there was another play where Evan Bronze, six nine, who's a, he's just not got a lot of run this year. We'll say that he got run yesterday because Lodgy got hurt. Which, by the way, oh, that looked like a really tough ankle sprain. That really looked like it hurt. Hope he can come back sooner rather than later. Um, but Evan gets in somehow jumps to the top of Edie's release point and swats it. And they called it a foul. I don't know. I don't, I don't know exactly what the call was, but if if anything, it's a body maybe, but he got all ball in the swat and they give the call to Edie. Like there's, there's running national player of the year calls. If you're like a wing that maybe you get. If you're six eight, you're a playmaker. You can throw it down. You can shoot from deep. But then there's seven four, three hundred pounds where you can already do whatever the hell you want, and you get those calls, and that's bullshit. Like that's that's just not how how you should officiate a game. Um, and again, we we're trying to be objective here, but like that's that's just bad. That's bad officiating. Um, and of all the things you mentioned, Adam, you mentioned the skill. You mentioned the, how he can score. You mentioned that he gets to the free throw lines and he shoots at a consistent rate for being that freaking huge. Yeah. You throw all that together. If he gets a deep paint touch, it's over. That's a dunk every time. So the combination of those things is why he scores 30 points a game. He, why he barely has player of the year. He barely has to jump to dunk the ball. Like it was just so ridiculous to watch him yesterday and his, his feet barely leave the ground and he's dunking. It's like, that's just not right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's not fair, but he's out there doing it and uh we'll see if Purdue gets those uh those favorable calls in the tournament and that's uh, generally why they don't end up going. <laughs> Bingo. As some people think they should, but uh women's game starts here in about 10 minutes. It's 10:50 a.m. here on this Sunday. Do we want to talk about the women at all quickly before uh, they, they tip off at Ohio State, Adam? Yeah, I think we have to because this is arguably, I, I would say, the second toughest game left in the regular season schedule for the Iowa women. And they're, they're going to uh, Ohio State, who's currently ranked number 18, and who is, I, I think, one of the few teams that is sort of built to give Iowa problems because they have that like upper level talent level that very few 
teams, especially in the Big Ten this season, can match. That starts with J.C. Sheldon uh, and fans who have watched women's basketball, especially, uh, saw her last season really break out for the Buckeyes. We're talking about, uh, I think it's 17 points a game. Um, Great shooter from distance, can make from inside too. Like Sheldon will be in the WNBA. That's That's a stone cold lock. And speaking of future WNBA players, Cody McMahon. Uh, forward, uh, not a big one, but she is super athletic, super skilled, and going to be a big, big uh, matchup problem for someone like Kate Martin or Sita Fulter. Like, I, I'm expecting them to be in that mix defensively. Uh, Taylor Theory, same situation, you know, super skilled, uh, can play on the interior, on the exterior. So, Ohio State, from a personnel standpoint, has some dudes, gender neutral dudes, right? They, and I was going to be playing on their floor, like they're, they're going into Columbus and Iowa already gets teams best effort on road games to begin with, right? That even when they're playing uh, Rutgers or, or Wisconsin or what have you, they're getting A games from their opponents. And now here it's going to be coming from Columbus. That atmosphere is going to be bonkers. Right. So this is going to be a tough game and people are probably going to be listening to this uh, podcast after the game is over. So uh, it will have been a tough game. And uh, J.C. Sheldon and Cody McMahon will probably have given Iowa difficulties by the time you're listening to this. But, yeah, I I think this is going to be Iowa's between this and the trip to Indiana that's still upcoming. I, I think this is going to be Iowa's one of the toughest games of the year. A loss would not surprise me. And it, it would be disappointing for Iowa fans, absolutely. And, and you know, it, it would get some negative attention. But it wouldn't quite surprise me, and it wouldn't necessarily, if I were a fan, it, it wouldn't discourage me either. Because ultimately, you know, this is a it's a road game in the Big Ten. You're going up against a top twenty team. Like this is these are tough teams to beat. These are tough environments for any team, much less the uh, bullseye on our back all-stars which is what this Iowa team has become so uh, I'm very interested to see how this game will have shaken out I'm interested to see how this game takes out um guys you guys gonna be watching this one? Oh yeah yeah I am getting some food once we're done here getting the podcast uploaded sitting down and watching some uh, women's basketball here uh this morning yep oh yeah what network 100%. is it on? Adam, while we have you. Well, it is on the um, Peacock. NBC. I, I, I yeah. Oh, oh, it's on NBC, proper? Regular, Robert? regular okay. NBC. Oh, thank God. Yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah same. When, when I, I had put it in my um, calendars, Peacock only. So, whew. All right. Well, the game will have been on NBC. Like, Ross, why'd you even ask me that? The game's over. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, I think that's it for us today. We will uh, let you go, Adam, so you can cover that game, and we will all be watching it. So um, I hope you enjoyed our tweets slash premium board posts now that you've listened after the game. Um, Once again, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of HotCast. If you're listening on YouTube, watching on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. Hit the bell so you don't miss an episode. Drop a like, drop a comment. What do you think about this edition of Caden Proctor? Who will be the starting five on the offensive line for Iowa and 
again for the second video and podcast in a row. Who do you think is going to be the offensive coordinator? Will you burn Kinnick to the ground? And if it is uh, George Barnett or, or John Budmeyer, <laughs> let us know so we know to evacuate the area. And uh, if you're listening on <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Spotify, please make sure to hit that subscribe button. Leave a rate and review. We know a lot of you listen on Apple Podcasts. If you would leave that rate and review there, that would help us out a ton. We really appreciate it. If you're not a subscriber yet, you can do that at iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. We'd love to have you over there on the premium board. If you want to drop a question for us or drop any thoughts, you can do that by leaving a five-star rate and review on Apple Podcast, as well as joining us on our premium board. You can always ask us questions there that we can hit on on the podcast. Once again, my fo- my name, my folks, my name. <laughs> Jeez. Once again, folks, my name is Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined by Adam Jacoby and Ross Binder. For now, we will see you next time.